Life Happens with Pimelo Mutine on SAFM, leading the conversation. So this afternoon in our knowledge, uh, Indigenous Knowledge Systems, we are going to have a conversation with Professor Abel Pinar, who is a consultant and technical advisor of the Health Reform and Innovative Education. He joins me now on Skype, in fact, uh, all the way in Pakistan. I'm not sure what time it is, but uh, good afternoon to us here uh, from South Africa. Prof, welcome to the show. Good afternoon to you and good afternoon to your listeners. It's 10 past 4 in the afternoon in Pakistan. And thank you for inviting me. So let's just start right there. What takes you to Pakistan? I am a consultant. I'm at the current moment uh, an associate dean and researcher. And I'm rolling out the first PhD in nursing in Pakistan. Mm. So, so the work that you were doing before you left was all around how to incorporate indigenous knowledge systems in our current modern medicines um, and specifically around nursing and how to incorporate all of that together so that we have an integrated system of, of, of treating patients. Yes, I would say integration is a slightly overstatement if you talk about the Western system. I would say coexistence because um, the Western system found indigenous health in South Africa. It was a system running when the, uh, uh, the people of the colony entered South Africa and the African continent. So... Um, we cannot be a subsidiary of the Western health system. But for me, it was coexistence because in years' time, and an inclusive health, because in years' time, the Western system, which we were colonized under, has uh, influenced our, our way of doing health. I mean, even myself, I've got a PhD in health sciences, and although I, my uh, area is in indigenous health, which just means local African health. Indigenous to me is not traditional, it's alive, it's local African health. It's the health system, the primordial or the primal healthcare system, and it's not primary, it's primal. It means is the mother health system of the African continent and the mother health system of the southern African region, which um, the Khoi and the Sun are uh, uh, the leaders in this health system because um, of being longer in the southern African region. So from my side, yes. Please distinguish the difference between traditional and indigenous. Traditional has a bad connotation. It means it's something outdated, it's something from the past. But uh, the indigenous health system is local health system, like uh, local is lacquer in Africa. So um, it's local and uh, the local health system has never, it stood the test of time. Even under the apartheid government, we were consulting and we were practicing. We were not allowed to do it uh, openly because there was the witchcraft uh, um, act which oppressed us, but it happened. Uh, all of us, uh, I mean, I was brought up in a very indigenous healthcare system. We practiced it and uh, it's becoming uh, um, modern again. And uh, you mentioned the word modern. Even local healthcare can be modern because we're moving to natural and nutrition, which is actually what the local healthcare system, the indigenous healthcare system of Africa is all about. 
So let's then go to where you 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 bring in the Khoisan and the San. As you rightfully said, they were the original people here, so we should be drawing from their knowledge systems to to help us um, coexist with 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 Western medicine. What what is it that we need to then learn? Because um, so few are practicing at the moment. Yes, that that is true. But if you go to the Northern Cape, I always get a, a, a laughter when people say the Khoi and the Sun is extinct. Well, we might be uh, the Khoi and the Sun is still w- very well there because if you go to Northern Cape, Western Cape, and Eastern Cape, especially your Cape provinces, all the descendants there are Khoi and Sun, which uh, some prefer to be known to be classified under the the concept of colored. But if you go to the Northern Cape, we actually have always been uh, classified under the term Khrikwa. Uh, which is a kind of zero three in the apartheid era. So um, the Khoi and the Sun is there. And yes, most of our elders left with the knowledge because this has been transferred generation to generation. But uh, Siboka is one of the projects that's really exploring and reviving the indigenous health system from the Khoi and the Sun, which is basically your bush and uh, animal products as natural medicine. With the kind of um, um, changes that we've seen in nature, how difficult is that? So some of the medicines and, and as you said, bush animal that would have been used way back then have, you know, some are no longer here, some are scarce. How do we then start tapping into that with the scarcity that we see? You know, the fortunate thing about the African continent is that 80% of the plantation uh, have medicinal properties if you test them, some medicinal properties. So if one uh, um, type uh, dies out, there's always another type of the uh, plant medicine. But the indigenous healthcare system consists predominantly of spirituality, uh, practices, which is uh, we also call rituals. And uh, medicine is a small percentage of uh, uh, the indigenous healthcare practice. In actual fact, it's a lifestyle. You know, we talk about healthy lifestyle. Health is a lifestyle amongst indigenous communities. And uh, um, some see it as nutrition and others see it as medicine. So, um, and when you look at uh, uh, provinces like the Northern Cape, specifically where uh, most of my work is done, those provinces is a very big province with few people. So uh, predominantly the province have got plant medicine, which is um, very well used amongst the community. I mean, if you just look at the current COVID situation, if you look at the the prevalence of COVID in the Northern Cape, it's relatively low. And the community, the Campbell community, which I am working with, there was only one COVID patient, and that is because they used uh, the indigenous medicine and uh, one of uh, uh, the students, uh, two of the students that I've supervised in PhD, and the other one I'm supervising in PhD now, have is working very closely with the community in order to patent 
uh, a triple combination for influenza. And we have already found that that uh, triple combination is eight times more potent than uh, broad uh, antivirals. So what I basically do, because uh, you have to learn from the Western system in the Western education system, but naturally I'm brought up under the indigenous education system and there's no informality. That's a very formal process of education too. Um, you, I do the, the research within the indigenous context using indigenous methodologies and then I take it to the lab because I also understand the, the so-called scientific processes and I put it in quotation marks mm. because it depends on what you believe in when you talk about science. Mm. So uh, we are comparing and contrasting and find that the, in most of our the indigenous medicine that we test is much more potent uh, uh, than the Western medication. And another uh, issue um, that we also find is that side effects is less because our genetics recognize the indigenous medicine from ancestral the, the genetic patterns. So um, that is the situation. Wow. So that. Well, that's absolutely fascinating. Let's just take a quick break. I'm in conversation with Professor Abel Pinar, who is a consultant and technical advisor of health reform and innovative education. We're talking indigenous knowledge systems and how we coexist uh, what you would recognize as modern medicine or Western medicine with indigenous medicines. So that's essentially the conversation we're having. Listen, you may uh, call in and ask whatever questions you have. And I know this has been something that's been very close to you because every time you've spoken about COVID, I kid you not, at least one person calls in to say, to what extent are we integrating? But Professor has just corrected us to say coexisting and using what we would have known to be of assistance um, to our health uh, that is indigenous to what we currently are using in, in, in Western medicine. Many, many of you have asked the question and asked, well, why is it that we don't have this uh you know, working together of medicines. Well, the person to ask that question is right here. 891 is the number to dial. You can also send us a WhatsApp question or whatever comment you have on 0614-104-107. At SFM Radio and at Pimelo Mutile on Twitter. I'm in conversation with Professor Abel Pinar, who holds a PhD in health sciences, and his work focuses on reinforcing indigenous communal healing as a sustainable health science and practice in Africa. He joins us all the way from Pakistan, and you are more than welcome to give us a call on 0891-104-207. Prof, thank you one more time for staying with us. Let, let's go back to what you, you said earlier, that um, we now know, you know, largely how we got to lose our connection with our indigenous knowledge systems. We are here now and you speak about the importance of being able to 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 use the kind of knowledge that we have in in our indigenous knowledge systems and transfer that to Western medicines so that we are able to then prove the efficacies of our medicines. How well is that going? You know, from the project that I've been busy with since 2007, um, we are not exactly transferring. What we are doing is we compare and contrast. Uh, 
we look what is similar and we look what is uh, different and different to the indigenous research is better as i said <laughs> that in a lot of times <laughs> we deal with less side effects than we deal with in um, the western medicine field so it's going very well in a sense that if you really look at things that people move more natural. I just want to make an example of uh, midwifery. When the colonists came to Africa, we had our own midwives, which people call traditional birth attendants. Now that's an anomaly to call uh, indigenous midwife a traditional birth attendant, because that person does not attend. That person delivered the baby. So uh, we had births at home. And then we were harassed and we took the births to hospital to all sorts of unnatural positions that causes anxiety in women, that the women are not uh, surrounded by the broader family and all those kind of things. And now we have a modern system where we actually create a homely situation and you pay a lot of money to be booked into these flats. I know in the Gauteng area where I reside at the current moment that we have these flats where family move and there is a midwife that delivers the baby. So what is new? Since uh, they have chased us out of our houses and now they bring it back home again. So it's constantly this practice of learning from us and then repackaging it for us. And we are moving towards natural healthcare systems. I mean, all these natural products, the aloe veras, the what what. Aloe vera is just aloe. And uh, uh, when we have used the raw formats of aloe, it's now packaged in very nice perfumed uh, aloe vera products. And we have it back. And if we look at the other situation uh, where we look at the dietary um, uh, situation where the Khoisan community of the Northern Cape t took the UK to court on, on, on the Hudia plant, which they use in diet products, it's, um, it's, that plant is called GAP and it grows very wildly in the Northern Cape. And it was used uh, by the Khoi and the Sun uh, to keep them filled and you just drink water on top and it, it makes you feel uh, um, full for a longer time. So this concept was taken and the plants were then transported to the UK and then repackaged in dietary products. So constantly we need to be very careful uh, uh, that uh, um, we are not uh, feeding into a very um, destructive system to get repackaged. It's like our precious materials that we dig out gold and diamonds in, in, in Africa and take them overseas and then buy them expensive. That is the same with the green gold or our indigenous medicine, which is called the green gold. Uh, uh, it's the same system and we need to be very protective uh, over what we have. And um, actually revert back as uh, younger people to ask the elders that what did you use for this how did you use it because we we are going to lose it totally if we don't revive it so um the Siboka project is basically especially in the northern cape was born out of elders asking that if you are in research why don't you sustain what we have because we know it's working and that's basically the work that we are doing and it's a team of multi-country uh, 
and uh, multi-professional team that does research with the students that stays in the community and learn from the community and we also build capacity within the community and we've also now in the Rechtersfeld within the Potnolith area we have also now adopted uh, adopted. Look at how arrogant I can be. <laughs> we are working with the community and we are sharing. They teaching the postgraduate students and uh, in, in exchange we uh, support the community with building capacity. For example, the the project is funded by the National Research Foundation and the Department of Science and Innovation, as well as the Health and Welfare Center, which assist us to build capacity in the community to advance these healthcare systems that they are already dealing with. So I'm very thankful that at least some organizations in South Africa support and believe in our local healthcare practices, which where you do not find um, a lot of hospitals, like in the Northern Cape, people are still practicing it openly and without fear or favor. What I am really appreciative of is you helping us learn to check our language um, with things like integration and and how you have, you, you, you constantly are asking us to see the value in what we have and not look outside and think that what comes from outside is better. Mm -hmm. That is, uh, I I think through the years I had to relearn Mm. because uh, um, after my PhD, when the community approached me, uh, an elder in the community approached me and um, I had to relearn because um, as much as I'm, I was brought up in the indigenous healthcare system, going out and studying within the the Western healthcare system has calibrated my mind. It sort of teaches you a colonial hegemony of uh, what is colonial is right and it's superior. And we need to constantly, as children of the soil, check our language Mm. and check what we believe in. And I uh, elicit a lot of criticism because I stand very bold and I know things are working and I know it's it's working very well because as much as I know what's happening indigenously, I'm also testing it in the same Western labs, which is threatening them because I can speak from a Western science perspective, holding a Western degree, but I can also speak from an indigenous perspective, holding um, a very esteemed uh, 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 indigenous qualification of formal indigenous learning that was transferred to me by my grandmother and my father, which were indigenous healers within the Khoisan community. So I speak comfortably from both perspectives. Please um, stay on the line with us because we are taking those calls on 891 Isaac is calling us from Guatemala. Thank you so much, Isaac, for calling us. Um, Isaac, are you there? Good afternoon, Pamela. Good afternoon. Yes. Yes, Isaac, I'm going. I'm going to ask to be so rude. The, you know, we were so taken taken by this conversation. I, I had no idea it's time for us to go to the headlines. Do you mind just hanging two minutes for us while we go to Utsile, and then we'll be back with more of your questions um, when we come back. Is that something that you're willing to do? Yes. All right. I apologize, Utsile. It's one thirty. Let's go to Utsile Saku for the latest in headlines. 
Pimelo Mutine on SAFM. Thank you so much for staying with us. Professor Abel Pinar holds a PhD in health sciences and his work focuses on reinforcing indigenous communal healing as a sustainable health science. And he's on the line with us from Pakistan. Thank you very much for your patience, Isaac. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Pamela. Thank you so much for your patience. Uh, Go ahead. Yes. Pamela, I just wanted to actually ask the good professor mm-hmm. if are they going to set up institutions like hospitals, clinics, so that we can be in a position to access this good system. If so, they, they're going to do that, um, how, how long can it take them to actually build those uh, hospitals? So don't leave, um, uh, Isaac, because he, he's responded to that. In fact, he was telling us about that very um, hospital. I'm going to call it a, a hospital, but it's, it's, you said it's a Saboka project, Prof? Yes, it's a, it's a Siboka project. Um, I just want to um, uh, 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 um, tell Isaac that hospital is a Western concept. It's uh, four walls. However, when I look in, in Asia uh, and in Pakistan, is that in the same hospitals, and in India you also find it, you get uh, the indigenous healthcare system ran side by side by the Western healthcare system. So hospitals already exist and they should just open their doors for indigenous uh, healthcare practitioners and people so that people have a choice. If they walk in, they can have indigenous healthcare as well as Western healthcare because uh, in the Pakistani healthcare system, you can have your indigenous uh, medicine within the ICU, which is a Western concept. And uh, uh, it's it's the government that needs to move away from colonial hegemony and believe that our practices are from the dark that needs to allow the system. Remember that the, the, the health budget is from the taxmen and uh, the health budget is given by the Western healthcare system. So that same health budget could be redirected to be an inclusive healthcare system because constantly we can see that people are moving to a much more inclusive health where they are prepared to take natural medicine, whether you buy it at the chemist or whether you consult with someone that does a a mixture for you, you, uh, it's your choice what you do. And the reason why we talk about communal is that um, our healthcare system is predominantly practiced within the community, is for the community, in the community. And uh, uh, um, however, uh, we need to have the choice how the Asian countries practice it, that if I would like to take you Lingana in hospital when you are admitted with COVID, I need to have the freedom to take you Lingana so that with the antibiotics or the antivirals that they are giving you, you can take your Lingana. And the Asian community do it very comfortable. But because we in South Africa has not been free for a long time, and we also have denied ourselves a number of things, we're still sitting under colonial hegemony. That's the belief system. Or that the the colonists, the colonists are still there, even if uh, we are in in leadership we still 
think with a colonial mind and we do not ask the questions of transformation and especially transformation of our healthcare system and our educational system to open up for inclusive health <laughs> where we can have both practices. Let's take a call from Dominic who's calling us from Durban. Dominic, good afternoon. Let's take a call from Dominic who's calling us from Durban. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. Hello. Hi. Welcome to the show. Please switch off your radio, Dominic. Yes, I uh, just uh, switched it off. Go ahead. Um, yes, I just pulled over in the middle of the road. Mm. Uh, I have a quick question for Professor here. Um, I have a friend who uh, is a doctor, medical doctor, but also interested in this kind of uh, indigenous uh, medicine. And... and uh, it's been researching to, to, to fight uh, malaria around the Central Africa. I think I will just uh, not uh, tell his name to protect his identity. But uh, what I learned from him is uh, he said that he's been finding it difficult and uh, from uh, uh, the pharmaceutical industry, from, uh, with, with the Western uh, pharmaceutical industries, and at, at, at such point where they go further to even bribe the, the authorities, the officials, so that to uh, make it difficult for uh, uh, indigenous medicine to, to, to develop. So I wanted to know if, uh, from Professor, if uh, from his experience, if he, he can confirm this kind of, of reality. Thank you so much, Dominic. I suppose, uh, Prof, it leads me to my question to say, well, how do we get to, 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 I suppose, change that colonial mindset that you were speaking about with the Western medical practitioners who often, it's, it's not the people, it's often them who would discourage you from taking the lingana uh, in addition mm-hmm. to what they've prescribed. So we need to start there with that transformation. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I really think, and what uh, uh, the caller said is very true. There's two things that the pharmaceutical companies are doing. The first one is that they um, they hijack, uh, like with the Hoodia plan, they hijack when they see it's really working and when it's uh, baseline testing is done, uh, they hijack the principle and disown the community that owns that knowledge. The second thing is the enormous amount of money that they have. And if you look at pharmaceutical companies, is their marketing departments, that's the biggest. It's not their developing uh, Mm. departments. And uh, they market that well and they oppress what is working uh, in indigenous communities not to surface. And uh, that reality is there. And when you speak from an authoritative point of view and you really corner them, you are in trouble and very easily for victimization. And I mean, uh, uh, that reality is there. And uh, uh, the communities that I'm uh, that I'm working in, which is my own communities, and the students that work with me for the last um, uh, years, Uh, 13 years can tell you the victimization when you dare say that we have found that this is really working and we we contest 
uh, your testimony of this particular issues, uh, it really becomes an issue and you might very easily, even in the ankylons of certain universities, you know, our universities is, uh, I mean, is still the colonist that holds the high positions and uh, um, they oppress such information that it doesn't go out. With other words, they would like to advertise what uh, students and researchers are doing within indigenous health, but they would not like to acknowledge or give it a solid platform. And these are not only people from European descendants, it's only even our own people with a colonial mind that uh, is still under colonial hegemony, uh, that's uh, believing, I mean, they act like the West, they act worse like the West. So this is a reality that when you take a stance as an indigenous person and acknowledge that I am indigenous and I, I, I would not like to uh, uh, be a subsidiary or a subordinate of uh, a system, that you must be open for victimization uh, in that regard. Let's take a call from Eddie, who's calling us from Ondas Dalsris. Uh, Eddie, thank you so much for your patience. Good afternoon. Okay, thank you very much. Are you okay, my sister? I'm well, thanks, Eddie. Yes, uh, thank you very much. <clears throat> thanks for, for bringing proof, you know, because you have been uh, contesting about this issue and the way he elaborated is very clear. But I just want to ask him, um, will this uh, indigenous me- uh, medicine will need a, our legislation to be changed so that people can be accommodated within the mainstream uh, of the current uh, health system? That, that would be my question. Mm. Um, because that is very important. Mm. And how don't we need an uh, grassroots advocacy about it so that we can be taken serious? Thanks, mm. thanks, Eddie. Also, it, Melo, I also need something from you, please. I don't know whether your producer can call me. Yes, I'm going to hand you back to them please. and then All we right. can speak to them privately. Okay, thanks, Eddie. Prof, he's asking a very important thing um, around legislation. Mm-hmm. Now, my understanding is that we, we've actually moved somewhat with legislation. My concern and where I need you to come in is how are we going to shift attitudes? Mm-hmm. You know, actually, the legislation is there because South Africa have got beautiful. The constitution is there, and there's nothing above the constitution that everyone's rights stand. And there is reg- uh, legislation like the the um, uh, Afri- uh, the Indigenous uh, Traditional Medicines Act. And there is a number of legislations and policies. And there's also a, a, a council. Uh, um, uh, possibly overlooking all this uh, uh, and uh, systems are in place but is an attitude and a willingness of us to accept we who we are you know when we um, uh, um, a tree without a root swings is swung by the wind any direction And unless we accept who we are and that we are having strong practices and strong things in place, because before the colonists came, uh, we we were functioning and uh, we just functioned different. So legislations are there is the application and the attitude. I want to push it a little bit further to say we we have this book up project. It sits very neatly somewhere, and it it's been, you know, it's a brainchild of people like yourselves. But for me, you almost need a a wider reach, and and it's almost too mm. late 
to start where the professionals are coming into medicine at a tertiary level. It's almost too late. Those attitudes mm-hmm. need to be adjusted from school, from how you appreciate mm-hmm. your own language, from how you, from school level, as, alongside what mm-hmm. they're teaching in sciences, it should be exactly mm-hmm. these, these knowledge systems. Where do we get mm-hmm. that going um, in, 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 in primary school level? And how do we do that? You know, actually, if you look at uh, um, uh, life sciences, I my view is, and I had uh, um, uh, uh, several students that have done education under my supervision, yes. who is uh, um, have linked it to the life sciences curriculum. Now that same life sciences curriculum need to be transformed, and in in every community, in every village, we need to be taught. Uh, by the elders of that village of who we really are because if it's not brought up from childhood we might be frowning upon who we really are and I do agree with you that when you get to uh, tertiary or to higher education is fatally late because uh, um, it's very difficult then if you are not brought up as a child from there to to then approach your own life you're questioning yourself we need to think a bit more broadly about this because i i do have um a sense that what we're doing now particularly in south africa is we tick boxes we're very good at ticking Mm -hmm. boxes it's now heritage month they will all of them on the 24th or the 23rd at school be dressed up mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. in this makeshift looking like we we've instilled mm-hmm. some sort of learning mm-hmm. in the schools but none of it mm-hmm. sits um at a point at a level that we expected to stand like your western science medicine so whenever we transfer mm-hmm. our knowledges with school children and it is indigenous it's almost very peripheral and, and it, it's, it's not really mm. with depth and it's not really with the kind of um, intensity that you would get with Western, Western mm. mathematics or Western mm. sciences. And so for me, mm-hmm. there needs to be not artificial, but there needs to be a real sense mm. of proper uh, transferring of knowledge and at the same time. Mm-hmm. Um, intensity and at the same level of, of integrity as we're giving to other subjects. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the baseline of that problem that you are highlighting, Pamela, lies in, 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 in the concept science, that we are misled what science is. Um, and we think what is Western is science and what is indigenous is non-science. It's craft. Now, that is... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's craft. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you put it quite correctly. But the the main definition of science is a logic and a systematic way of doing things. And all science are based on a belief system, like you mentioned mathematics. Now, mathematics have got axioms. When you look at an axiom, an axiom has got no meaning. A straight line is 180 degrees in geometry. Now, how can you question me as a indigenous scientists when mathematics is also built on axioms uh, which is not tangible, which is not concrete, which you have to believe in. Uh, 
I mean, uh, if you just uh, look at uh, religious science, uh, um, and I do apologize, I'm just making an example, Christianity, that you have to believe that um, uh, 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 that uh, the Jesus was born from the the from Maria, which was a virgin, and then when you do midwifery, you are taught that uh, children came through conception, and these are two different sciences. And if you don't believe in the coming of Jesus in Christianity, you cannot practice the science, the religious science. And I'm not talking about the, the maybe I'm not talking about the highest spirituality, but spiritual science, the religious science of Christianity. And you cannot practice midwifery uh, as uh, if you believe that uh, people are getting uh, um, pregnant by the wind. So it's... Uh, these are two sciences that stand on its own principles and unless we respect indigenous sciences Mm. to stand on their own principles we cannot uh, and i really want to thank the koi and san community as well as the postgraduate students that we are working with that we sort of um rediscover all these issues because when you look at i mean i have done a lot of journey with indigenous healers within the community and i asked them so how do you know how to do a combination for a certain illness and they say to me that no i'm following a a springbok that's sick and i see which plants the springbok is eating and if it's this plant and this plant and after a couple of days the springbok is more healthy, I know that that is the combination for this illness. Now, is this not scientific? Because what we then do in combination in the lab is we also put this different uh, um, medicine together. And most medicine are plant-based, by the way, yeah. uh, or, or animal-based. So um, uh, indigenous sciences stand just as Western sciences stand. Prof, let's take a quick break and we'll be back with your calls and your voice notes in a short while. Life Happens with Pinelo Modine. Good afternoon, SA listeners. And, uh, yep, well, shout out to the professor in Pakistan. Uh, I totally agree with almost everything that he's saying. And, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, it's quite an interesting topic because most of us now we rely in these western you know culture style and all but we're given everything you know and uh as the professor is saying it's only being repackaged and now once you see those colorful you know colorful papers and all then the whole package seems to be a different deal but otherwise it's the same medicine that our forefathers used to use so shout out to the professor and uh keep up the good work. I think if Africa as a whole can open the eyes towards this way of uh, preserving what we have, I think we'll be a healthy nation. Thank you very much. Hi, Pumel. Uh, I think those uh, hospitals that don't guess speak about, they need to be built uh, quickly or uh, ill under traditional medicine. People need to be in the hospital because the number of women, they normally complain about the fact that hospitals still, they are placentas for these pharmaceutical companies to do a lot of research. Others are forced to, to, to immune their kids 
even though they don't believe Cosbona, probably they've got a lot of indigenous knowledge system, but because they want to leave the hospital, others ended up complying. There are a few of them who didn't comply, but ended up living with their kids. So the dog, they can even speak about the importance of placenta. Maybe he knows a lot of that, yeah, well, because he's an indigenous person. Prof, you want to respond to, to the last uh, voice note? In actual fact, uh, um, yes, I know about the practice of the placenta, and that's why um, when you deliver uh, the Asian community's children, they take their placentas with, home. Yes. Because, uh, yeah, they take their placentas with. They don't in South Africa, in you'll be arrested, though. If you were caught with a placenta <laughs> on the road, and you'll be arrested. That's uh, that's an anomaly because uh, you know that uh, uh, when we say that uh, the the umbilical cord of the child it's uh, part and parcel of the placenta because the communities take their placentas home for two reasons is either to bury it close to home to yes. stay uh, in the home vicinity yes. or secondly to possibly dry it and use. Um, uh, a certain of that placenta, especially for the skin, mm-hmm. to revitalize the mother's skin or so, uh, because it's also very good, uh, uh, including the the vernix around the baby that uh, is keeping the baby's skin very supple. That's also been used to um, add to the placenta and to revitalize the skin of the mother after the pregnancy might have uh, taken a lot of its toll or the labor process might have taken a lot of its toll on the mother. So in the Asian communities, they claim their placentas, they take it home. But if we are arrested in South Africa, uh, that is the things that I'm talking about, the application of our indigenous knowledge systems. Would you advocate for building of hospitals if you are saying that you know the hospital and the four walls is is a western concept how then do we then move this concept to areas that are in need of this and and actually have have really not been lacking it's just a matter of as you said capacitating their efforts Yes, um, I would not be totally against the uh, indigenous health practice in a hospital, but it's normally a communal pr- uh, principle. Mm. Uh, and as we saw the examples in India and in Asia and in China, that in the same hospital, both healthcare systems are practiced. So I'm very open for coexistence, inclusive health, whether it's in a hospital context, but then we need to be very careful how we roll it out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, it's anyway existing within the communities and communities are practicing it whether we like it or not. And especially where desperacy come in. When we are desperate for health care. Prof, people by their very nature feel the need mm-hmm. to be validated. And I, I almost mm. hear what these callers are saying. They're saying, yes, they're traditional healers. Yes, they're people who we can look to for indigenous medicines and, and guidance. But there is something mm. more. Having known the hospital systems, people are seeking mm. for another form of validation that says what we've already been doing is enough. What does that look like? Mm. 
You know, uh, and uh, again, we use the concept validation. I would rather say confirmation because validation have got a very strong yes. <laughs> connotation of yes. I'm wrong and you are right. But I but but that's how that. it's been. I mean, colonization did that, apartheid did that, right? So it removed yes, um, yes. The, 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 as you said, you know, the it, it made it wrong. In fact, the fact that it was even legislated yes, that we go yes. to prison made it wrong. Yes, yes, that's very true. And the the the, the witchcraft act still exists and is of 1950s. Mm. It's not scraped mm. because every now and then we want to use it to oppress people. Mm. So, uh Yes, because of the Western influence, we we would look for confirmation. Mm-hmm. And that's why possibly that we would like to show the West that uh, despite you having antivirals or antibiotics, this is just working as well. Uh, uh, and we test the same indigenous medicine next to the antibiotics and say it's working better. Mm-hmm. It's more potent than your antibiotics. So that is the kind of confirmations we sometimes do. Mm-hmm. So I do agree with you. We need to go to the drawing board and really change our policies drastically. Mm-hmm. That we we are because the law has oppressed us not to be. Mm-hmm. We need to use the same law to get us out of oppression, that we get out of the hegemonic state of the colonizers, Mm -hmm. that uh, we start uh, uh, accepting that we are because we are. Mm. We are not being validated by the West. Mm -hmm. We have been there. We have actually lived longer when we were not on the, um, some of the destructive Western medications. It's been fascinated, fascinating talking to you. I really appreciate it. We would love to have you back. We'd really love to have you back and expand on this conversation. You are most welcome. Uh, it's a passion and it's a lifestyle. And I must say thank you to the community I'm working with. And the community includes students of all races, from uh, Europeans to uh, foreign students and the multi-country, which includes the Netherlands. And I specifically work with the Netherlands because they were the main oppressors of the Northern Cape. So to see what they have done. And uh, uh, also our different uh, uh, African sisters countries like Zimbabwe, uh, Zambia and Malawi. So we are a multi-professional team. And I speak on behalf of the team, Siboka. Thank you. Thank you. Really appreciate it. Professor Ebel Pina, who holds a PhD in health sciences and works with the forces uh, and focuses on reinforcing indigenous communal healing as a sustainable health system. That was fascinating. Two o'clock. Let's go to Utsi Lesaku for the latest in SABC News.